Welcome to the Web3 podcast. My name is Andrei Azimov and if you're looking for a career in Web3, I made a website called web3.career where you can find the Web3 job. Also, you can learn how to pivot your career into Web3. And this week our guest is Miguel Piedravida. You're 19 years old and currently you become very popular in Web3 scene. You completed 160 different web projects and sold two of them. And currently you're working on NFT social network called Showtime and working on some side projects like Blockchain Path and, and other one, like, I don't know, like more five or something based on your blog or website. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to come at this point. I just like start something new every weekend, I feel like, but it's... I would say it's, yeah, about that. Nice. So pretty impressive to 19 years yeah. old. I don't know how you have time and doing all this, this stuff. Maybe you like Elon Musk or something. <laughs> I don't think so. No, it's just like I dedicate my, like I'm not in university or anything. So I guess that makes it easier. Oh, I okay. can just dedicate all of my time to this and to doing work. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Have two things to focus on. Yeah, are you in London right now, or where you are? No, I am in Madrid right now. I will be in London this weekend, though. Okay, and you now in studying the university, or because I remember you had a dream to go to the UK and study there. Yeah, I tried that, and then I just went to university. It was like full Corona season. No one was there. The campus was empty. Classes were online. So I ended up dropping out because there was really nothing to do there. So I now do work full time. Okay. And you still can go to UK based on some some travel visa or something? Cause yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm from the EU, so I can basically go to... I guess UK is not longer in the EU, but like you can move through Europe without any issues, so I don't need a visa or anything to go there. But yeah, there's this NFT conference in London this weekend, and I was invited to speak, so Mm -hmm. I'm going there. Oh, cool, cool. Let's talk uh, about the Lisbon. Uh, I know you really like that that one, that conference, and the vibe in general. Many people seems in crypto and Web three scenes move there. So how was Lisbon? Yeah, Lisbon was amazing. It was like my first crypto conference and the first opportunity to actually meet some of the people that I've been seeing online for a while. There were a bunch of conferences. Uh, most people actually didn't go to any of them <laughs> just because like the talks are recorded, but you can just like go out, hang with people. There also were some like really, really great parties. But yeah, the vibe there was amazing. I met a lot of builders, a lot of cool crypto people in general. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I ho- I really hope that I can visit London, uh, visit Lisbon soon, and also uh, take a look on all these new cities, and uh, f- find some people. Cause I currently in Thailand, and it's a little bit hard to meet anybody during yeah. to, to lockdown. Yeah, really uh, um, happy for you, man, that you can just travel and have fun and go to London. Ho- hope it will huge. Yeah. Um. Cool. So let, let's jump into question. I will read one by one sure. and let, let's maybe go deep in one of them or whatever you want. So let's go. The, the first question from Javi, he's 
asking you, let's say you, you are learning Web3, you've done about six projects still learning. If your time is limited, would you start learning Solana Rust? Solana slash Rust to jump in the ships that expand your knowledge? Or it's better to focus in on getting very good in solidity? Do you think Rust for smart contracts has potential and demand in the market? Yeah, so I'm not going to go into like my thoughts on Solana just yet because I I did like uh, have a brief look at the, at the questions and there are some que questions that I can expand more on that. But I will say Rust is a really complicated language. If you don't have a lot of experience with Rust or you just like have done a little bit of JavaScript or whatever, I would not recommend trying to learn Rust. Sorry, we need to mute somebody. Maybe someone joined and didn't mute. Yeah, no, I muted them locally, but I feel like it should probably be still uh, hearing out for everyone else, I think. Mute. Yeah, me, I just muted some guy. Guys, please be on mute so so we can talk. Yeah, um, yeah, please go on. Yeah, which, by the way, if this becomes a problem, Hello? there's like an option in Discord where you can make it so that no one can speak except for us. So maybe that's something that we can do. But yeah, like as I was saying... Um, as I was saying, Rust is a very complicated language. I would not recommend that for getting started. Maybe once you have made, like, know a little bit of what you're doing, you can go into that. Just trying to learn Web3 and Rust, the same thing can be complicated. I would recommend, and this is something that there are a, a bunch of other questions that I will also answer. If you're getting started with Web3, just like... Most people in here probably know JavaScript. Get started with that. Write like some front end that interacts with uh, the blockchain. Because like that's pretty easy for our um, front end developer. We are used to uh, trying out new libraries at the every time every time. And getting started with like web building web three apps with React or Vue is just kind of like using a new library. Mm -hmm. So definitely try that out, get started with that. And then once you have like an app, you can then start going into the whole smart contract area, which is a completely different thing. But I would say like, go one thing at a time. Don't try to learn two, th two new things at the same time. Don't go Rust and Web3 and Solana. Don't go even like Solidity and Web3. Figure out the whole Web3 part first. You can make web apps. You can look at the, co at the code of some apps that already exist. Try to figure out how that works. And then you can go into smart contract or Solidity. Mm -hmm. uh, where? Excuse me? Uh, you said uh, find your smart contract on Solidity. You mean your, you have like your own on GitHub or, or what do you mean? No, I meant like uh, there are a bunch of exi exi uh, existing protocols or applications that already have like smart contracts. Like if you want to build something related to, I don't know, um, taking loans in crypto, you can use the Aave protocol for that, which they already have some smart contracts for. If you want to, I don't know. There are a bunch of, for all the existing pro, uh, projects have smart contracts, and you can maybe, you see this thing called Uniswap that you've been seeing people use, you can try to build a front end for Uniswap. There's mm -hmm. documentation out there for most, if not all, smart contracts out there, so you can just try to figure out how, with an existing smart contract, 
how do I use my JavaScript abilities to build a front end for that? And so you can build a front end, which is an easy part, because you've already done that. And then you figure out how to make that front end instead of you interacting instead of with, with a backend with the blockchain. And then once you have done that, you first of all, you have a Web3 app, which is great. And also, you now know a little bit more about how this whole thing works. And then you can get uh, go a little bit deeper into smart contracts. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, because... Uh here in this Discord, I suppose many people just want to jump into Web3 and it's kind of, there is too many resources and people just don't know where to start. So I suppose many questions will be like this about about the start and how how was your path and so on. So just to be ready for a question like this. No, yeah, yeah, I know. I, I Like I said, I skimmed through some of the questions, so I, I am prepared. <laughs> okay, cool, man, cool. Okay, let's go to the next one. Uh, what, what has caught your interest was your motivation join deep ALTR compared to other offers and was it the contract made in MS Paint? Okay, so this is kind of a joke. The other day I tweeted that since everyone apparently wants to hire me, I would be open to like, I, I have been as uh, joining any company that wanted me as like Vibes intern which is a position with no salary and no responsibilities, just as a joke. And the deep, deep ELTR team were one of the people who posted a, co a contract, quote unquote, uh, made with MS Paint that I just like signed as a joke. So that that's basically the joke. That's mm -hmm. not really a question, but sure. Mm -hmm. Got it. Next one. Make a prediction five years time. How has Web3 changed and how has it changed the world? Like what's your prediction in five years? Yeah, so I would say uh, right now the blockchain, like the computing power of the blockchain is pretty limited. That's part of the problem that we see with like gas being that high because gas basically represents the operations that its smart contract has to do. And also there are limits to what you can build on the blockchain. You cannot build like a backend for a game that has a hundred, um, players at the same time or something like that. It's pretty limited to what it can do. It's actually like, um, you can do like math on it. You can do a little bit of like string manipulation. You can definitely do like, like it, it is not recommended to do a uh, big for loops or stuff, stuff like that. Just to like make clear how limited that is. And there are, the, the teams are working on ways to solve this problem. And so for, in five years, I definitely believe we'll have a blockchain powerful enough, hopefully, to do anything that we can do right now in, uh, I don't know, a digital ocean uh, BPS. So I feel like in five years, we'll see Web3 grow a lot, not only in finance, but like in all the other spaces, in the social space, people will be making games, just like in regular using the blockchain as a backend for much more things. And yeah, I feel like Web3 probably won't change that much, yes, because like what I consider to Web3 to be Web3 is more a culture and a way of doing things than it is any of the technology that we have available right now. But I do I do feel like it will change the world, quote unquote, a little bit, just in the sense that we are used to do things or consider acceptable. Similar to how I feel like a, a few years ago, people didn't really care that much about like online pri privacy, for example, or at least people didn't care as much as they do now. Uh, I feel like, for example, owning your data or having the applications that you use being a public layer for some kinds of apps will be a thing that people may, will care about more than now. And yeah, just like 
stuff like uh, owning things, having things be more transparent is kind of uh, the things that Web3 brings. And I, I think we'll see as more apps adopt it, hopefully big apps soon, uh, we'll see people starting to get used to that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, be because I'm personally new in this uh, old Web3 scene and you make an interesting statement about that Web3 is not this next generation of the internet one where everyone talking that Web3 it is, but you saying it's a culture. It's like, it's like, yeah, the, I mean, the, the way it's a of... culture that has some technical principles in a way, like similar to how Web2, quote unquote, was like a revolution based around cookies in a way. Like we didn't really have state on the internet and now we have like state and all these things. Um, I, I feel like Web3 does have like the technology uh, point that is we didn't have the blockchain and now we have the blockchain. But um, but all at the same time, uh, it is mostly about culture and about um, a certain way of doing things that... Yeah, blockchain is kind of the best way of doing that, but doesn't necessarily, and as blockchain evolves, as new technologies appear, we, like, that's not the defining point. The defining point for me is this cultural aspect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you tell more about what, what do you think about this cultural aspect? What is really, it's like, it's like communities that helping each other, or what exactly do you mean by, 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 by this yeah so it is like uh i guess a, a pretentious way to put to put it but i feel like we are in a different way trying to achieve what the first people who were building the internet were trying to achieve like if you read all these articles about actually like people saying the internet is going to be a fad the internet is not going to be a thing a few years ago they the things that they critic are that it's kind of like an utopian view of things where, where with these people that wanted like all the information to be open to everyone communities to actually make things more demo democratic and stuff and i feel like the principles haven't changed it's just that um for some reason people some people do not like the technology that comes in this wave and other people have just like given up on thinking that this is ever going to be possible but i feel like these those views are kind of like the same thing we want um users to own their data we want privacy to be a very important thing we want things to be like more democratic more open more decentralized in a way we want yeah. all the people that or not all the people but we want to build new services that can allow us to do what these old new services allow us to do kind of like facebook twitter google all these things but we want to make build them in a way where the user is in control and yeah and also build a bunch of things that weren't possible before related to mostly to financial stuff. So for me, those are like the really important culture is just like a new version of those ideas that helped build the original version of the web. So yes, I don't know, we're trying again. So maybe this time yeah. we'll get it. Yeah, because uh, you made a very interesting tweet that you made the analogy about your teachers when was innovation in your school and you got the, they got these Chromebooks and some teachers like all schools, they don't want to adapt to innovations and they started just copy pasting PDF and saying you need to do with Chromebook the same that you, you done with book, just read from it. But other teachers, more modern teachers, they adapted new technologies and they 
try to using these all new tools, new platforms to learn to, to make it make sense to use in Chromebooks. Otherwise, you can there is not much difference between books and Chromebooks if you're just using them as a books, right? Yeah, that was inspired by mostly seeing people that are just like building Web3 apps that just got into Web3 and are trying to build Web3 apps that are just like, oh, we are building a note-taking app for Web3 or we are building whatever. We There was a guy who like made a community course and then made the the tickets or like the subscription to the course be an NFT. It was like, don't get me wrong, it's cool. I'm open to like everyone experiencing new things, but like that's not really building anything new in a way that's just like, like I said, if you are building an app that can replace crypto with Stripe and nothing will change, like the app will continue to work, that's not really building for Web3. That's just like building an app with crypto, which are kind of different things. And yeah, like I, again, I love everyone who is experimenting and doing new things. I have, I, I, like, I don't want to gatekeep this. Obviously the way that you learn is just like, either rebuilding something that you're familiar with or rebuilding something that someone has already built. There's nothing wrong with that. But I do think that, especially in Web3, with all the things that I'm seeing new people build or even old people build, uh, it is important to keep into account that like this is a new paradigm and we don't have... like You cannot go and say, oh, we are build, going to build a, a blog and a Web3 blog, and then we are going to see how do we build likes in Web3? How do we build comments in Web3? Like, I, in my opinion, that's the wrong way to go at things. Like, I have this anecdote in the thread where I mentioned that there was a, there's a, actually a, a kind of like a Web3 blogging platform called Mirror, which is really awesome. And I was talking to one of the engineers, and someone in the chat mentioned, oh, we should like there should be some kind of liking functionality. And the question that he proposed was not like, how can we build likes on Web3 or how can we build likes in the blockchain? He was like, how do likes uh, work on Web3? Like what is the intent of likes? And what? how do we rebuild that in a better way? And the system that he came with was you would basically stake tokens to like an article in a way and then the yield from those tokens or the interest generated by like putting those tokens in a bank to put it in a web two way would go to the author so he would like have like a passive stream of income from that article without people losing their money and being able to like withdraw them or, any, or at any time and like the system is cool but the point that i'm trying to make is not about the system more about like the, the right question to make is like what is this thing that i'm building what is its function and what can we use to recreate that function in a better way? And not really like, how do we build this in Web3? Because then you get to, I, I don't know, I see the whole X in Web3 or X with crypto, similar to like the Uber for X thing, where it doesn't end up working most of the times or it is a bit unnecessary. Like NFTs are cool, crypto are cool. People are just like using it as a password today and just like trying to add NFTs into anything, regardless of it, of it, if, if it makes sense or not. So that was basically what that whole thing is, was about. Yeah, and you mentioned that there is um, crypto and Web three, and if you make in crypto, like adding just the crypto payments, it doesn't mean that your website or the the app is Web three. Right. So what, what do you think is like interesting topic? What do you think is the difference between crypto and Web3? 
Yeah, so this is mostly like subjective in my opinion. Yes. I do feel like crypto is more related to the technology by itself, the whole blockchain thing. Web3 is this new movement or this new generation of applications that use blockchain technology to put the user first to all these all these other things that I talked just a few months moments ago. And I do feel like for example, if you build like, oh, I'm going to take my application that I had for like three years, the Sitesource app that I built a, a bunch of years ago, I'm not going to make it so that you can pay with crypto instead of Stripe or alongside with Stripe. Like that definitely has crypto. That's pretty objective. Uh, I wouldn't say that is Web3 though. That is not a Web3 app in my opinion, obviously. Um, so yeah, it's more of like the focus, the... Um, the way that you use the technology, all those things, I would say that for me is the difference between Web3 and crypto. Mm -hmm. So if you would give an example, you give an example of the crypto app, which is just adding the payments or whatever to, to the Web2 app. But what would be the, the, some good example that you think is pure, like the definition of Web3 app or apps, maybe like a couple of them? But you really think? Yeah, I, I mean, getting... I feel like the the easy one is Uniswap, which is like one of the most uh, known crypto apps in a way, like apps that use the blockchain, which just allows you to to exchange any kind of token for any other kind of token and uses like some really smart function to do all of that without centralizing or having an order book or all those things. Um, one that I like more is this application Mirror that I mentioned. Uh, it's Mirror.xyz. It is a decentralized blogging platform. So the, yeah, there's not really a server. There, the content is not necessarily put on the blockchain. It's put on a project called Arweb, which I saw there were some questions about, so I will talk afterwards. But they have done a really good job too of integrating all of these technologies, putting the user in control. They also have like some really cool features. Like you can, it's a blogging platform that you can embed NFTs into. You can also embed a crowdfund, a crowdfund embed editions like there are like web3 blocks that actually um like the best way to get it at least for me was i was talking with the founder and basically one thing that he mentioned that he it really stuck with me was kickstarter if you think about it is just like a blog with a crowdfund at the end and we want to build these blocks the crowdfund the nft embed all these blocks that then people can go and put anywhere so that's kind of like what they are trying to do. And for me, I, I really, really like their team. It was like one of the first applications that I used when I was getting into Web3 and getting into crypto. Uh, but yeah, I really, really like it. And I feel like it's a great example of how to build a Web3 app that might be more similar to Web2 apps, being like a blogging platform still, but how to do it right, how to actually find the right metaphors and the right ways to, like how does this look in Web3? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do, do you think Torrent is Web3? Not by technology, but by the, by the hmm. vibe. Yeah, I actually don't know if I would say Torrent is Web3. I Maybe. I feel like it's more like Torrent is not necessarily Web3. You could build an application that uses Torrent, in, uh, Torrent under the hood that is Web3, I guess. I wouldn't say like Torrent is Web3 the, the same way that I... Don't know if I would say like the blockchain is Web3. The blockchain is like infrastructure that you can yes. build on top of. More like the protocols or the apps are Web3, not necessarily like the technology. Yeah, because the, the idea of Torrent was that everyone can share everything like decentralized way as much as it could be in, in the times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, let's move on to the to the next one. I'm also 19 years old builder. How can I join Gen Z Mafia? Yeah, so as a backstory, Gen Z Mafia is a really great community that I'm part of. It's kind of all the <laughs> all the cool Gen Z kids who are like in Silicon Valley founding startups or making great projects. It's kind of a community for those kinds of people. Uh, if you want to join, there is a um, submission process. I think you can go to gensimafia.com and there's a form there to fill and then people, someone will review the applications. I, I honestly have no idea who takes care of that, but someone does. And then you will get either accepted or rejected, hopefully accepted. But that's that's how you join. Mm -hmm. And the age is like the requirement, right? Otherwise it doesn't make um, sense or, or not really. I, I would say probably you have to get BGNC to join. That's kind of like the whole thing. Uh, but I am not fully sure. But I, I would I would only recommend web, uh, GNC people to fill in the form, just in case. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Um, next question from the same guy, by the way. Uh, I have a beta for my Web3 project. How do I get early adopters? Yeah, that is a great question. There are like... Like I've seen there is, um, in Web2, it's pretty easy, I would say to like, or at least not pretty easy, but it's easier. There are platforms where you can like just throw in your product, your project and people may check it out. You can launch it on Product Hunt. You can use beta list before it's ready, all these things. Uh, Web3 is a little harder just because if you put something on Product Hunt, uh, people may not know, have no idea what it is about. I would recommend in general, Twitter, crypto Twitter is really, really strong. Um, People are sometimes do threads for like just like uh, that are show me what you're building or something like that, and you can post it there. There are also some great um, um, both Discord and um, Telegram communities. I would especially recommend the Cabbage Patch community, which I am by the way a moderator on. So, sorry, so, can you spell it? Cabbage Pets. Yeah, it's a uh, cabbage patch, like as in cabbage. <laughs> it's like a, a bit of like a crazy name. It has its story, but whatever. Um, it's uh, kind of like a small community. I feel like it, there's like 500 people there, but people uh, they are not really like active. So it's it's single thread. There are not multiple channels. It's in, in Telegram again, but you can actually follow it pretty quick, pretty clearly, which is something that I really like about it. Uh, there are no no more like than like 20, 30 um, messages a day and you can just like ask questions as you're learning Web3 or share your project. And there are some really smart people in there that can help you out. So that that's basically the community that kind of onboarded me into Web3 in a way. And also probably my one of my favorite communities in the space. So I, that's what I would recommend. Also, this is a great Discord, probably post it here. There will probably be some people interested in learning about that. There, I think there's a promotion channel so yeah. No, uh, I was I I meant this Discord channel as uh, this Discord community as in the Web three community that you created, and also on on Telegram the Cabbage Patch community. You can just search for Tech Optimist on Twitter, mm -hmm. or go to I think TechOptimist.xyz, and there is a link to join the Telegram channel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Got it. Uh, the next one. 
if you want to start a new Web3 project today, what's the stack you would use? TypeScript and Next.js, but what about the hardhead or others? And if you need a backend serverless like AWS, Lambda or Heroku or others? Thank you so much from Javi. Yeah, so my personal stack of choice, it's I use Next.js for the front end. I obviously use Tailwind for all the styling. Um, then I use ethers.js, which is basically the library that you use to interact with the blockchain. And then for the smart contracts, I usually use Hardhat as a developer environment. If none of that last part makes sense, that's fine. That's basically like a, not necessarily a framework, but like a developer environment similar to like how Next.js allows you to, if you want to re write a React component, you can just like drop it on the pages directly and it will make that a page. Uh, Hardhat basically allows you to like have a smart contract that then you can like write tests for or deploy it from the command line and all those things. It's a really great tool. And then if you need backend, clarification on that, uh, you may think that in Web3 apps, the backend is the blockchain and that is correct. But the thing is reading data for the blockchain is usually not very optimized in a way. You can emit events from the blockchain, but you have to like um, look those up and all those things. So the blockchain is not great for quickly reading information. And so what most apps do, what Foundation, OpenSea, Showtime, all these apps do, is they have a backend where they just kind of like cache or, or crawl the blockchain and then put things in a database just so that they can then, when you perform a request, you can really quickly return data. So the, the role of the backend in Web3 is more of like um, organizing data and just like caching data in a way uh, for easy retrieval. Uh, I personally really, really like Laravel uh, in PHP. I've been part of that community for years. If I was to just make something small though, I would maybe consider using uh, Next.js API routes since that that's built in into the front end and there's less separation of concerns. I will also say for anyone listening to this, you can just use whatever you are used to. If you use Beaufort to make apps, even if you just like have an HTML file where you write uh, JavaScript with the jQuery or with no li library at all, you probably are going to need a library to interact with the blockchain. That's hard. But other than that, you can use whatever stack you're used to and it's probably going to be fine. Mm -hmm. So there is no like the, the golden rules. It's just whatever you're good at, you can just use. There is not many difference as for Web2, I guess, but just for smart contracts, yeah. there, there is some good good things that can make your life much easier, like this caching, hard hat stuff that can just save you tons of time. Otherwise, you need to check in the entire network yourself. Yeah, I mean, I feel like pretty much all the most of the apps that I've seen use Next.js on the back end. On, I mean, on the front end, I have no idea what they use in the back end, and they use Ethers. Those are like the most popular choices. If you are used to a stack, I think Peter was here before. He uses a single index.html file for everything. You can build a, a Web3 app using that. Like it, the stack doesn't really matter. Just you don't have to learn new, a uh, completely new tool set to get started. Just use whatever you are. Um, use whatever you are familiar with and go build something. Like, 
just get started. And after that, once you have more experience with what this whole Web3 thing is, you can decide if you want to move to a different stack or if you want to keep with your own thing. But yeah. start with what you're used to and, that, and it, that will make starting way, way easier. Yeah, because I, I read you, you have a really good article on your blog about how to learn crypto and you didn't just jump into the entire smart contracts. You just started with FrontJS, right? For Mirror, I guess. And you, you did it like step by step to, to adapt these new concepts. Yeah, I mean, I feel like even if you if you have a, like a new JavaScript library that you want to learn you pro and you are you, you have just like react all your life you probably wouldn't start the project with typescript and Vue.js and the new library you pr it probably makes much much more sense to just like go one thing at a time and say oh so now i'm going to learn this library and then once you're fi finished and you're familiar with the library i'm going to build a project with that library and Vue.js or whatever else you want to learn but doing it all at the same time just like makes things so confusing and makes it less likely that you will finish the project or actually understand what you're doing. So my advice there is go one thing at a time. If you are familiar with um, Next.js, great, go make a Web3 app in Next.js. If you have never touched frontend in your life and you have only you built backend stuff, there's probably some cool backend things that you can do uh, with the blockchain. Just like try to inc incorporate something related to crypto or Web3 with whatever stack you are already comfortable and that will probably make it much easier for things to make sense. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Um, the, the next question from CH, complete newbie here. I thought smart contracts solidity replaced Web2 backend entirely. Correct me if I'm wrong. I guess we already spoke about this, but yeah, we, can we already we already went about this. I would say, as I mentioned at the start, uh, the blockchain is a bit limited in functionality right now in the sense where like you can do really complex data operations. Like if I right now wanted to build, I don't know, um, the backend for World of Warcraft, I am definitely not going to be able to uh, do that at all. Because as I said, like if you do a if you do a um, for statement with a hundred iterations, that's probably going to be too much for the blockchain in its current state. Yes, because there are limits to gas in the block and all this technical stuff that you don't really need to understand. And so, uh, depending on what you're building, uh, smart contracts can replace Web two backend entirely. Um, if you're building something related to finance, that most likely the case and how you want it to be. For Showtime, for example, uh, NFTs are in the backend, uh, I mean, are in the blockchain, but we do use a backend for like likes and comments and all those things, because eventually it will make sense to put those things on the blockchain. Right now, it's just like a waste of space for everyone and a, a bunch of time and making things more complex. So the end goal is to do that. Um, right now, you have to be a little clever and decide what goes in there and what doesn't. And even if you put everything on chain, uh, it does make sense to have a, a back backend sometimes to optimize the reading of data and to be able to, I don't know, if you go to someone's show profile in Showtime, we are not going to crawl through the, through the blockchain to f find all the NFTs. We just query our database and that will return in like milliseconds instead of taking, I don't know, minutes. So uh, there's still like place for a backend. But eventually, I would say, in like five years, maybe, maybe a little less, the, the goal is to, if it makes sense, which again is another disclaimer, 
uh, Web3 is great, uh, backend is great, uh, blockchain is great. It doesn't make sense to put literally anything on a blockchain. You, ha you do have to like think, does this make sense at all? It's like with everything, I guess, when there's a new tool and you want to try to use it for everything and then you slowly figure out what that tool is better for. Um, blockchain is the same. It, it comes with like great benefits. It also has some drawbacks. You do have to be mindful of, does my, I don't know, does my product hunt clone make sense on the blockchain? In my opinion, probably not, at least not in this current state. Uh, it, it doesn't need blockchain at all. You can maybe find some clever things to do with NFTs, but you probably shouldn't move the whole database to the blockchain. Uh, but yeah. I will, uh, for apps where it does make sense to put things on the blockchain, the end goal is to get there. And for smart contracts to replace backend entirely as a source for information, at least. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Because many people might just use, um, um, crypto technologies for everything that they can, but it doesn't really make any sense. Same with Web2, I guess. You can you can just use all tool for everything. You just need to make the tools that make sense to, to use it for this particular problem. Yeah. Cool. Um, the next question from Javi. Javi kind of active. He probably asked the most question in, <laughs> in, in the street. He's a really cool guy. Okay, the question. Please, please tell us about your wallet you are building. Say what? What does 2.5 means, I guess? this web 2.5 that you call it secret name please tell us more okay so the story yeah, is so yeah yesterday you tweeted right that you decided to build a wallet in the secret name called web 2.5 right yeah so the again the context for that is basically I, I uh like you were saying i tweeted yesterday that i'm building a wallet that's like the lat latest project that i started uh and the code name for the wallet is web 2.5 and i have, I'm going to tell you guys what it is. I haven't uh, tweeted about it yet, so probably I will probably do a thread today. Maybe keep like do not really share it uh, out of here. This like alpha, so do not share it uh, until I do. But the idea here is like as I was saying, uh, the blockchain is not powerful enough right now to handle some things that you will eventually want to be there. Um, Still, uh, if you believe that it will at some point get that powerful, which I do, as we have uh, already established, um, you would want to build your apps, your existing apps today, in a way where when the blockchain gets to a stage where you can use it that way, you can seamlessly import data. For example, uh, on Showtime, we have comments. People can comment on NFTs. This is data that maybe at some point would make sense to have on the blockchain. It's just like not great to have it right now there, mostly because it would just be a waste of like transactions and gas and all these things. Uh, the issue is if someone tomorrow uh, creates a decentralized commenting platform uh, or protocol, uh, we cannot just import all those comments um, into the system. Basically because that would uh, require the protocol to trust Showtime. Those comments are currently in, a, in our database. And that would be the, we, we can right now make up whatever, just like go into the database, uh, create a comment. And then when we import those comments, that comment would be pulled in as if the, the user had posted that. 
So we cannot import our content into any blockchain or decentralized protocol that comes up for that problem in the future. Um, the answer to that would be to have the user sign with their wallet or their private key every comment that they write. And we would say the signature. And then when a decentralized commenting system comes around, we can just say, oh, we have this signature that proves that the user was the, actual, the, the one that clicked the post button after writing this thing. And then we could, we could import all those comments or whatever thing that it is into the blockchain. Uh, the issue with that right now is that it is very annoying. There's no, like, how that would work is the user would have to uh, have their wallet open every time, either like in using Rainbow on their phone or using MetaMask. And then it's time they perform an action. Imagine like you're scrolling through Instagram and then it's time that you click the like button. Um, button pops up that you have to scroll to the bottom, click sign. It would be really slow, really annoying. And so basically what I'm trying to do is a wallet that instead of focusing on what current crypto wallets focus on, which is uh, your transactions and holding your money and all those things, it just takes care of these signatures and allows applications to say like, I do, allows me to say, I give permission to this application to showtime.com to automatically sign any comment that uh, any any signing request that look that has this structure and then would be like the structure of a comment signature so that way we you can just like browse around each time you click the like button behind the scenes we can go to your wallet and say hey can you sign this and the wallet would say oh sure and then it signs it and maybe you have like a list of things that you have signed that you can check but basically that basic that allows you to build apps in a way that I call Web 2.5 in a way where we are still using a backend and we're still using a centralized database, but we do store signatures for the actions of the user so that eventually when we want to put things out of the database, we can import, we can verify the source of all our data. That's basically the idea. And I'm sorry if like that was a little bit boring. Uh, it's a bit technical, but that's basically, yeah, that's what I'm building. That's what I think we'll see a bit more of in the future. I call it wallet. Like I said, it will eventually not be called wallet. I call it wallet because it is close to a wallet. It is closer to a wallet than to any other thing. And so if I really quickly want to explain what I'm building, it's easier to say, oh, I'm building a wallet than it is to explain this whole thing. And then I can go on and explain this whole thing. But yeah, it's mostly just for simplicity. And also to hype up people, and it seems that it works. So yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> cool. Um, the the next one from Yesi. There is three questions. One, what do you think about Worldcoin's usage of zk protocol proof? Zk proof. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to have to go into a bit of a rabbit hole for this one. So I'm not sure who here is familiar with Worldcoin. Worldcoin is a project that was recently announced from Sam Altman and a bunch of VC funds that basically aims to create a global currency and to give a, basically to give a little bit of that currency to any human being. And then the way that they do that is they have these orbs, which is a hardware orb, like a sphere, where you scan your eyes to get issued uh, some Worldcoin. 
So it uh, it sounds bad. It sounds everyone when it launched, everyone was like really really hating on it, and I actually took the time to learn about it. I did have um, a friend that worked on the team that actually was leading one of the teams uh, from Worldcoin. So uh, I knew about that. I got actually got my iris scanned for that, and made two threads about what I thought about all of that. And Do you regret sounds, that you did this scan or no? <laughs> I. I regret that I got so many hate, so much hate for defending this thing. I definitely do not regret this scan at all, and think I and I'm really really hopeful on the project and really really hope it succeeds. So that is the Worldcoin part. The CK proof say CK proof part is a little bit more convoluted. A CK proof or zero knowledge proof basically is a cryptographic proof similar to a signature where you basically can prove something without um, leaking any details about it. So in the context of Workcoin, how that works is when your ears get scanned, when your eyes get scanned, that creates a photograph. Then what the orb does is it hashes that, pro that photograph in a way where you have this hash that belongs to the iris, but you cannot get the iris back from the hash. And then you put that hash on the blockchain. And so... With a CK proof, you can, for example, I can prove that my iris was scanned without revealing which of the hashes is mine, basically. This is what it allows you to do. And as of what I think of WorldCoin's usage, I feel like even though some people didn't really understand um, its usage, as I was saying, people were really hating on it, talking it like, I mean, it is a, bit, a little bit... Um, I guess scary, but um, it is, in my opinion at least, secure. Like, sure, I am taking a photo of my iris, but that photo is getting only hashed and then immediately deleted. So, and people, even like uh, I saw Erwin Snowden commented on it saying that building a global da database of irises was not a great idea, which I totally agree on. I would say, like, having an, basically a list of hashes of iris doesn't really matter just because the only information that means that you only can get any kind of information if you actually have the a photo of the iris of someone and even with that photo the only information that you can get is whether they got scanned by the orb or not so that's not really any kind of personal information i would say so i would say that actually the usage of all this cryptographic technology makes it really smart and the part of the project that actually has me excited about it, I would say, because any other implementation of this would be really, really bad for privacy, but making it in such a way where you can prove and use the system without actually re even revealing which of the hashers is yours makes it uh, secure and, priva and privacy preserving. Mm -hmm. So you, j just to clarify, you don't recommend to scan eyes, but you like the system. Or, I or wouldn't recommend to scan eyes in a system where you are just going to like uh, save the photo of your eye. I feel like it's not great to be giving people photos of your eyes for permanent storage. I would say, though, that in this system, uh, it is actually pretty secure. And I definitely don't regret scanning my eye. And once it is available for more people, I would actually encourage people to go scan their eyes. <laughs> Which sounds <laughs> weird, but yeah. Cool. Let's scan eyes. Um, ah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's uh, go to the next three questions sure. for, for, about the world coin. 
what are three small cap altcoin projects that intrigue you nowadays in terms of the problem they are solving or the solution they are built not fa yeah so as it says first of all this is not financial advice at all i would also like to preface this by saying i'm going to answer about three projects that excite me that have coins not necessarily three altcoins just because like first of all i don't really like the word altcoin i feel like it's a little bit derogatory in a way also i really strongly dislike speculation of any kind and i actually don't really invest that much in any kind of project just because yeah, I don't like the whole coin go up, coin go down thing. Um, so again, I'm going to replay based off like, I like the project, not really, I have looked at all at, at the coin. With that say, one of the projects that I really like is R-Wave, which is building kind of like a blockchain or a structure similar to a blockchain, but for files. The idea of um, R-Wave is that you can upload a field, a field to a file to R-Wave and it will be stored there forever. Like actually forever. It will be publicly accessible and it will be, it's like kind of like a um, CDN that you can have files in a decentralized way as well. So that the, the storage is not decentralized and also there are no, like it will not expire, it will not go down. Your file will be there until the end of time. At least that's the objective of the project. I, I've used it, it before. I feel like uh, most NFT are starting to be ho host their files on R-Wave. And Mirror actually uses under the hood for storing the, the articles. That's how they store such big amounts of data um, in a decentralized way. I would say that's it is a really cool project that I really, really like. And yeah, that's one. I'm going to go a little faster. The other two would be ENS, the... Ethereum domain system, they actually just announced that they are going to be launching a token or a coin. Um, it's just like really, really cool. The idea is basically if DNS, uh, the domain system that we are all familiar with, it's kind of like, uh, I mean, it is centralized, but it's still useful. It masks um, IP addresses. So instead of having to type, uh, I don't know, um, Google server's IP address, I can just type google.com. The ENS system does the same thing for wallets. So instead of having to type 64 random characters that is my wallet, I can just tap uh, miguelpf.eth and that will go to my wallet. It also allows me to like define an avatar, a name, a description, kind of like define parameters about me, similar to uh, TXT records. And then those can be queried from apps or from within the blockchain. So that bas it basically is attempting to build um, global identity like so that when i um create an account on showtime if i own the miguel pf ens i can just create an account and my username will be miguel pf miguel pf.eth across all projects in ethereum so i don't need to like go and reserve an username for everyone or so that they don't have to all have this information. Part of the thing about like Ethereum and having a global computer and a global database that everyone can trust is that we can reuse data and we don't have to, everyone have their own implementation of the same thing. I can just have, I mean, there are no really accounts, but I can just have this identity, this ENS, and then I can use that on every pro every project, which is really cool. And like then, re re reusable. Yeah. Yeah, it's reusable. It, 
allows you to specify a bunch of things. Like you can use my ENS to send me Ethereum tokens. You can also use it to send me Bitcoins, for example. If you have a Bitcoin address, you can link into your ENS and you can link even like Dogecoin addresses. Again, you can link avatars, descriptions, names, your Twitter username, all these things. And then that data will be available to any Ethereum app in a standardized way that they can read to. So that's really cool. Another project that I would be excited about, I'm actually going to pass, yes, because like I cannot think of any other projects that have a token, which is kind of the point of the question. But yeah, I'm going to leave it there with those two. Cool. And the last question from YC. What do you think about bridges? An example, what's your thesis of the future of L1S? seven to one distribution with multi L1 future. Yeah, again, context on, on that for people who are just getting started with crypto. The Ethereum network um, has what we call the layer one, which is the actual Ethereum mainnet, which is what you are probably using. And then there are a bunch of L2s, which are layer twos, which are other networks that are built on top of the Ethereum network. So for example, there's this thing called optimism, which uh, is in a way faster and also the transaction fees, which are uh, easy for most people, are way, way, way cheaper. And what it does is it kind of has its own blockchain system with miners and stuff. And then every, every X blocks, those blocks get like kind of published into the Ethereum uh, layer one so that this network still runs on Ethereum, still has all the securities that the Ethereum network has, like it's still secure and secured by the Ethereum network. It's just like built on top of it. Um, so yeah, I am. I f I do feel like with the ho the things that we are seeing, networks like these layer twos are probably going to be what more pe more most people will be using. We've seen, especially lately, that gas fees aren't really great, and so. And eventually the vision for Ethereum for for the core members is to just have a, add a bunch of technical changes, add sharding, all these sort of things. And basically for the Ethereum network be like the baseline for all these other networks which can be like more optimized and more and faster and more usable and more user-friendly to build on top of that. And bridges are kind of what allows you to move from one network to the other. For example, if I want to move my um, some ETH to optimism, I can use a bridge that will kind of like uh, get a hold of my Ethereum. I will send the Ethereum to the smart contract and then it will kind of crea create Ethereum or send Ethereum to me in optimism. So I do think like bridges are definitely necessary. It's a kind of infrastructure that we're still kind of figuring out, but I, I think we'll see a lot more of that in the future. As people as people continue to move to layer twos, especially with all the gas things, which I would say for now is the primary concern of people. And Ethereum moving to proof of stake uh, with Ethereum two in Q one twenty twenty two will fix part of that. But also people have like really with Solana and other networks coming along, people really don't want to pay for even like four dollars of gas. So it is important that we have side chains and rollups and it's all these layer twos and we're going to need bridges to move from and between those so i definitely yeah. think we'll see way more of that and it's an interesting area to work on for now yeah because it's solving uh, great problems the ethereum network with their fees 
is very pessimism. So these guys created optimism with low low fees network. Yeah, it's definitely a, uh, bridges are definitely a crucial part of infrastructure for this new world that we are trying to create where everyone uses rollups and all these things on top of Ethereum, but still keeps all the security from it. Yeah, because uh, there is also, I heard the the lightning is like, as I am understood it, it's L2 for Bitcoin. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, it is kind of a different system, just because like Bitcoin doesn't really have smart contracts and these things do. But the idea is basically the same. You, you have a system that can execute transactions or deploy smart contracts and do all those things. And then at the end, or like every, every whatever blocks, you just create a proof that all those blocks are genuine and publish that proof to the back to the to Ethereum, back to the L1, so that uh, you can still like trust that all of that is verified by the security of Ethereum and uses the functionality and is connected in general. Uh, mm -hmm. But also you can do things more optimally. Yeah, Be because there is uh, th there was a news that uh, Salvador, the the country Salvador. Yeah. Uh, start using Lightning as the currency, um, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, basically the analogy, for example, Lightning is, let's say that I want to like pay you in different amounts for like a month. I can send you a new, I can send a new transaction every time that I want to like pay. Let's say I want to like pay $1 every day in Bitcoin to you. I can send you a dollar every day or I can just like group all those payments and at the end of the month, say like, hey, here's, I sent 30 transactions, but I'm just like going to say once that I sent all those transactions. That's basically the, the idea. It's obviously more secure than that so that I can just like not say it and it will not have happened. But that's kind of how it works, basically. Got it. So I suppose if the entire country starts using this for, for their currency, it kind of makes sense. Even... Even the yeah. small country, but it could be like revolutionary. Other countries also start looking on this small country and start to using it. So it, it definitely some next level. Yeah, it's definitely infrastructure that we need to continue scaling. Visa actually, like the credit card company, is actually building uh, another a new layer two network on top of Ethereum to handle payments. So it's definitely, I feel like, the future of these things becoming more user-friendly, at least for most use cases, we will just have layer twos that allow us to do all these things in a much more optimal way. Yeah. Mm, the next question from, again, from Javi. How do you make decisions on what to focus and what to work on? I think you every single week come with a new opportunities, projects, idea, progress on showtime, learn new things, read a lot, meet new friends and chat with cabbages, making interviews, traveling and all your Twitter grow. And of course, Discord universe. Here we are now. How do you choose what to prioritize? I think you've done more than 200 projects, but how many even more are ideas to revisit in the future? I bet it must be mind blowing. How do you organize your ideas? Yeah, so like productivity, how how do you make decisions yeah. and want to choose to focus? 
I would, I'm still figuring this out. I've been figuring this out for years and I still don't have like a great answer to this. I, I just like lately at least I'm embracing chaos a little bit. So for example, the wallet project basically started because it was 5 a.m. I couldn't sleep and I had this idea and then I said, I'm not going to be able to sleep until I build this, so I may as well build it. And then I started working on it. So most things are just like, I think of something and then I just go to my computer, sit in, that, sit in there and try to build it. I also working with working on Showtime. I, yeah, I'm kind of figuring all of that out. I've been having like plen lots of ideas every day for years now. And I obviously don't have time to build every one of those. I wish I did, but yeah, I guess what, what, do, how do I decide what to focus and what to work on? I just go with the flow, go with what I feel. I feel like maybe at this point I have developed a good intuition for, uh, as to what is a good idea in the sense of like, what would people like? Why would, what would I be interested in building? What, like, for example, the wallet thing, I literally just made a tweet that said, so I'm building a wallet and everyone really, really wanted to see that. So I guess I was successful in measuring what people want to see. It's also a problem that it's really interesting to me, something that nobody's working on this whole Web 2.5 thing. So I feel like I, I've just like gotten good at subconsciously filtering out what ideas are the best to work on uh, along the years. So yeah, mostly just like embracing the chaos and natural, natural instinct. For any other person, my recommendation would be if you have plenty of free time, just like try to work on whatever things on as much things as you can if you don't as i assume is the case for most people um just like filter for something that is small and you can get out i would recommend because this is like the whole make a hundred of whatever and you will get good at it like if you want to learn how to write better write a hundred blog posts if you want to learn um i don't know all this whole movement of like make a hundred, whatever. If you want to like make good at not only figuring out which ideas are good or which ideas are bad, but also at like building projects, just build a hundred of them. And for that, you have to optimize for the smallest thing that you can make. Ideally, that is also interesting to you. But I would say that most ideas that people have are interested, interesting for them. At least that's been my case. Uh, so yeah, just like find something that excites you and that could you could finish in a weekend and then go and do that. And then next weekend you can try another thing. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's my advice. Got it. Next question from Javi. What are your thoughts about Metaverse? The blockchain Metaverse, not the Facebook. Uh, and what do you think about those who say that probably sooner than later a big chunk of people on this planet will be living a life that's really close to 100% digital only when not sleeping. Yeah, I would say, first of all, I am pretty sure that a big so, chunk so, of sorry, people on this planet uh, are already... Sorry, let, let's give some context. So what is Metaverse in terms of blockchain? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Metaverse in question of F uh, Facebook. Facebook recently announced that they are focusing on the Metaverse now, which for them seems to mean spatial worlds, kind of like in a video game. Um, the Ethereum understanding of the metaverse, it's more of like, actually, let's not go there. Uh, my personal definition of the metaverse, I would say, 
for me, the metaverse is not a place. It is not a project. It is not a website. For me, the metaverse, it's a moment. Similar to how in AI, we have like this... I actually don't remember how it's called. It's like a scaling point where the... Okay, I blanked out on that one. But there's like a name for the moment where an AI will uh, pass human knowledge. Um... Yeah, like I'm the still coin, about the word, but I can... Conscious, huh? you mean conscious or like in, uh, intelligence or, or what do you mean? Pass? Yeah, I mean, consciousness is really... Uh, yeah, the... What what do you say, sorry? Yeah, actually, yeah, the, the, the singularity. Like, that's the name for in AI when an AI will be smarter than a human in general, like not only on one specific task, but on all tasks. And that's not really a place or a thing. That's a moment in time. For me, the metaverse is the moment in time where we go more digital in a way. Like, as they were saying, people start living a life that is more digital than physical. I will also say I feel like a bunch of people on this a bunch of people on this planet are already living in the metaverse. The meta the definition of metaverse for me would be like the point where most people actually start living like this. And that doesn't really need to have anything to do with a uh, crypto or web3 because I feel like most teenagers already spend most of the time in like TikTok and all these things. It's just like a point where the digital things start to take over the the physical things, not only in like use, but also in social importance. So for example, the moment where you actually prefer to have a video call with your friends rather than meeting in person or something like that, which makes sense, I guess, for gaming people. Some people prefer to go play video games uh, at home with their friends that, rather than like, I don't know, actually going to a place and playing together. That's like my personal definition of it. It of course varies. For some people, it's like kind of some kind of spatial world uh, where they can just like go in and that. That's also Facebook's vision. So yeah, that's th those are some thoughts on the metaverse, I, I guess. Mm -hmm. Because Facebook also in their latest presentation shows that they will be a lot of VR stuff, and you can play video games and. They focusing on this also. Yeah, they are they are really trying to become relevant again. <laughs> yes. With this whole metaverse thing. But I yeah. I feel like they will just like popularize I don't know. For me in my opinion, they just like saw that the medium age of the person on Facebook is getting really old and they are scared of that, so they are trying to bring new people in and have people spend time on Facebook services because now we are making online worlds or whatever yeah. build children. Because we try to make video games but that didn't work out. But yeah. yeah, we'll we'll see how that develops. Yeah, yeah, let's see. Let's see. Uh another question. Who are the people that inspire you the most? right now on Twitter or Discord and how to follow them. Hmm, yeah. So this is kind of like a double-side question. Because um, first of all, there are the people who inspire me the most in um, but the tweet things that are too technical for anyone to understand, even me sometimes, which is probably not that helpful to this group. 
Um, most I, I, I think here, it, I, I, say... I think it would be relevant because it's the, the question was what inspire you, not, not what be relevant to the No, group. yeah, so definitely. But I, yeah. I also try to like give answers that actually make sense in this context. I would say for people that inspire me in the technical sense, there are there's a team called uh, a project called Rari Capital, where most of the, the it's uh, like a protocol for crypto lending, I think they do something related to that, that processes billions every month, and that is built mostly by teenagers. Uh, every person in this in that team is way, way smarter than me, and I really admire them. Uh, there's also the Paradigm team. Paradigm is one of the best uh, crypto PCs in the so, world. Sorry, that also can you spell like a, one more yeah. uh, again, the, the first project? Because maybe no one Yeah, understood. it's Rari Capital, it's Air... A, rare. Air, okay. Yeah, like rare, but with an I. Okay. So the the rare capital the rare capital team really inspires me. Also, mm -hmm. the whole paradigm team. Paradigm again is a crypto VC, one of the best. They also backed Showtime, I guess. So I'm not completely impartial on them, but they have a research team, which uh, I believe are actually the smartest people in crypto. Like all the smartest people in crypto are actually in that team. Uh, we are talking about the pe the people who made um, the um, papers that enabled Uniswap to exist. Uniswap again is like an exchange for token that doesn't that is completely decentralized and doesn't and doesn't have an order book. They they have been just like innovating and innovating and coming up with new ways, new primitives, new protocols. They are, let's say, like they are really, really smart, and though and those two groups of people, which include many people in there, are um, probably the ones that I would recommend. Incidentally, the Paradigm blog, which is at paradigm.org, I think, uh, does a great job at explaining crypto co uh, concepts in a way where you can actually understand what they are explaining, which. Maybe a little bit too advanced for, for someone who is just like getting in, but for me, which uh, some of the things are still way above my head, it makes me understand what they are talking about, which is really helpful. So that's a resource that I would recommend re uh, reading. And then also, obviously, Vitalik Buterin, the founder of um, Ethereum, um, really smart guy, obviously. Uh, he also has an, an a blog where he writes about technical stuff and non-technical as well now uh, in a way that it's like really clear. Um, these are not like resources to understand Web3. It's just like resources to learn more in general that I really enjoy and I feel like may be, might be accessible for people. So that's definitely a recommendation. And then other than that, uh, people that inspire me, which are like more, um, how to put this? Less technical and more in a personal level and more in like a um, friends kind of way. Um, I really like the whole, like I recommended before the Cabbage Pads, the way that that group started, we, it's with a bunch of people that call themselves Tech Optimist, a group that I end up being a part on, which joined together to just like create cool things. And they one of the things that they created was this Cabbage Patch group. And so all these cabbage people, I guess, are like my my Web3 friends, the people who got me into this whole thing and the people that I've been go, uh, building with since day one. And I really, really like, I like them and also enjoy being with them. And also they really inspire me. 
So I would also recommend uh, everyone to go follow those people. Cool. Yeah, I guess um, I will try to get the text version of this interview and we will put Yeah, I will. Links. I will. If you pay me, I will give you a, a list of Twitter usernames later. Yeah. Um, let's go to the next question. Oh, it's from me, actually. How did you start programming? How old you were? Uh, do you remember your first program or the game that you wrote? Yeah, so I started programming at 10. I... I had been interested in computers for a while, but everything that I had been trying to learn was like too complicated for me. I tried to, I think I found, I downloaded on my ebook, um, um, university textbook about C++ and it was way over my head for me being 10. And then I discovered HTML and I was like, oh, this is like, actually you don't have to really learn that much to build this. And so I started uh, making small websites just like, I'm mostly going through the internet and right-click view sourcing stuff to figure out how it worked. I the my school had a bunch of web pages like an index, a list of pages that the user the students could visit. So I would um, go in there and try to like change things, play with the CSS and all these things, and try to figure out how how they worked. And then after that, I learned PHP and I started building apps. For the um, first program or game I wrote. Um, if we don't count um, HTML things, because it's there wasn't really interesting anything interesting there, and HTML is not really a programming language, anyways. Um, after learning PHP, one of the first things that I built is, for whatever reason, I decided that I wanted to build a license a licensing system. I have no idea why I thought that would be interesting in any kind. I I had no use for it. I just decided I wanted a system where I could create licenses for stuff and then have an API to verify them. Keep in mind, I had no idea what an API or even JSON was at that point. So I kind of like- It was 10 years old that... or it was after? No, I, I feel like I was 11 at this point, but I had no idea what JSON was. So I basically came up with like my own custom format to, re to expose data on this API. And yeah, I just made a small system that allowed me to add things to a database and then having a, like a URL that had a license code and then saying if that was a valid license or not. That that was probably the first thing that I built. Crazy. 11 years old building license system. <laughs> Insane, man. Yeah, no idea why I thought that was remotely interesting, but that's what I did, did I guess. But like for what? Like for software licensing or just? Yeah, software licensing. I had no software to license. I. To this day, I don't know why I chose to do that, but I yeah, yeah. good idea, good kind of to, to learn at least the programming language. Yeah. Um, cool. The, the next question from Yogi. What do you think about Matic token? Will that have a future or should I move to Arviv or Solana? Yeah, for context in here, the Matic token is the native token to uh, what we call a sidechain, which is kind of another layer two, but this one doesn't directly put like the verification back on Ethereum. So it's not really backed by Ethereum. It's still um, one of my favorite networks. It's called Polygon. I really like it because basically it's intercompatible with ETH. Anything that you write in Solidity for Ethereum, like smart contracts, you can just like deploy without any changes to Polygon. And also gas fees are like, 
AWS style, yet like uh, you can submit a transaction for zero point zero zero one dollars. So it's much, much more accessible to the point where in my project, I just pay all the gas for the users. I, I pay the gas for all the transactions and it's still really affordable. So yeah, I I really think that uh, Polygon has a future, especially now that they now that they have this network, they are trying to figure out ways to turn it into like an actual L2 where they push the all the stuff back to Ethereum. It's definitely my network of, of choice for developing stuff. Uh, some people are going to Solana. I don't really like Solana for reasons that I will go in into later, maybe. But I do really like um, Polygon and would recommend anyone that is figuring out. Oh, where do I want? Do where can I start building things? I I want to like play around with the network. I want to be, be, uh, deploy smart contracts, but I don't want to like pay uh, Ethereum gas fees for all of that because it's really expensive. Just go to Polygon. You can get started. They literally give you some free Matic tokens when you get started, so that you can, um, so that you can use it without, like you can get started without paying anything. So that's what I would recommend for everyone. And I definitely think uh, Mar uh, Matic and Polygon has a future. And I would not recommend anyone to move to Solana from there, or even Ari, which is a completely different thing. Doesn't really fit there. As I mentioned, it's a blockchain for, for files kind of that I really like, but it's not something that is comparable to Ethereum or Solana or Polygon. Mm, the, the next question from Raul C. So suppose if you need to start for a web tree all from scratch, how will you do it now? Specifically asking about learning path. As Javi mentioned. Yeah, uh, like, it, I, like I mentioned, I would say whatever stack you're familiar with, whatever thing that you're familiar with, just um, make a new app with whatever stack and figure out how to include something Web3 related in that. And then that's how you start learning. That will probably um, make you discover a bunch of things about blockchain and smart contracts and how to interact with those. Once you have that knowledge, you can go into more complex projects. You can try to learn how to write smart contracts. There is a great resource for this called Crypto Zombies. You can just Google Crypto Zombies and it will appear there. It is like a, kind of like a Solidity from scratch course, which is really cool. There's also BuildSpace, which recently launched. It's a um, um, YC-backed company trying to uh, bring um, Web3 learning to the masses. And they have some pretty good courses. I haven't taken them myself, but I heard from friends who did, and they actually do manage to teach the basic of Solidity pretty well. So I would recommend those two resources if you're trying to learn uh, Solidity, I would still encourage anyone to, at, for, before going into smart contracts or building anything from scratch, go build a Web3 app with whatever stack you're comfortable with to learn the basics, because it will probably be way easier that way. But yeah. And uh, you personally haven't got any courses. You just started by doing, right? No, yeah, I never, I feel like I don't really learn that well by cor in courses. I just like to like throw myself into a situation where I don't know what is going on, like as I was mentioning, and then try to like, I feel like uh, the uh, skill that a lot of developers have is debugging, like knowing what to Google, knowing once something doesn't work, 
how to make it work, kind of. So I basically learn by debugging. I throw myself into a situation where I just like go blind into a tool that I want to learn and then try to debug my way into learning that tool, if that makes sense. So uh, for a recommendation, you mentioned the crypto zombies and build space. As, yeah. Okay. Build space, by the way, our sponsor. So you can check this. Oh, out. nice, nice. <laughs> yeah, definitely check them out then. Yeah. Um, the the next question is from Peter Levels. What do you think NFT NFTs are going? I want to be a believer, but a lot of of it seems without increasing value and pumping like shit coins. What will be the future of NFT and how will they evolve, you think? Yeah, first of all, I would like to definitely agree with you. Like I said before, I really dislike speculation of any kind. And I feel like a lot of NFT projects, especially once, like once you are a little bit more inside crypto Twitter, you basically ignore all the animal adjective 10K avatar projects. But from the outside, that's like all that you see. So it's not great branding, but I I do also really dislike the whole shitcoiny NFT projects and just like creating artificial scarcity from stuff. I I'm extremely bullish on NFTs though. I actually have like a thread going more into detail about this that I wrote yesterday. But the the thing that people need to understand about NFTs is like NFTs is not about avatar projects. NFTs is not about art at all. NFTs is just like a primitive for owning an array. You have an array of data or like a JavaScript object, and then you put an owner to that. And the first use case that people came up with uh, was um, we are going to use it to sell digital art. Yes, because there's, there has be, been no way to sell digital art before, and now we have one. And so that's where the whole... NFTs as art came from, but NFTs can be truly anything. Like I, in the thread that I was writing, I said like, once we have Web3 social media, what do you think posts will be? Posts are a thing that is traditionally owned by a user. So now for with NFTs, we can make a post object with maybe it's just like a JavaScript object that has like a message and timestamp, or maybe we can even get like the timestamp for, from the chain, so we can get you. So we not just need to like have a JavaScript object with like a message, or maybe in reply to or whatever. And then that uh, JavaScript object object is owned by the person who posted it. And so that's a use case for NFTs. I believe that as we continue to build more non-money related things on Ethereum, um, we'll see more use cases for NFTs. But yeah, I feel like as I was mentioning at the start. I really feel like one of the most important things about um, um, Web3 is the users owning their data. Because if the platforms own the data, we can't have interoperability. We can have all this open garden of protocols and applications. Um, it, that can only happen if the user is the actual owner of their data. And the, different, the difference here would be like owner the data traditionally means uh, you have, an, for example, you have a blog and you own the data if you host that blog yourself and you like are the owner of the database. In Web3, owning the data means that the data is still on the blockchain, which is decentralized, so no one really owns that. And you basically are like credited as the owner in a way. There's like an open interface as to what an owner, being the owner of something means. And then if you are marked as the owner of something, you own that thing, like an NFT. And then everyone agrees since 
the blockchain is kind of like a database that everyone can agree on, on that you own that thing. So for me, NFTs, I mean, NFTs will definitely be, get bigger in the art space as well, but that's not what I'm really excited about. I'm really excited about people figuring out new use cases and new, I'm rebuilding apps on the blockchain that have nothing to do with money. Like another thing that I mentioned in this thread is DeFi is like, or decentralized finance is like the big giant, I guess, of uh, crypto where it can seem like most of the things going on with crypto are related to just like money and lending and all these things. Um, at, at its core, Ethereum is just like a global database, a decentralized database that everyone has, that everyone can trust and rely on. And so that doesn't, that definition doesn't really include money at all. Money is just like one of the first use cases just because um, the banking industry is really outdated. Like the whole, I don't know, people are still using main, uh, mainframes with COBOL or whatever. Um, and it was due for an upgrade. And then they made these um, global database that everyone can trust. And money is definitely one of the first things that would come to mind for such a system. But it is not the only thing that can be done, as Ethereum has proven with smart contracts. And I feel like more and more we'll see more projects that have nothing to do with money at all being built on the blockchain. And I, I feel like NFTs play a big role in that because it's just in, in the, in, at its root, it's a standard for owning any kind of data. Got it. Uh, let's move on to, to the next one. The next one is actually for me. Uh, how did you switch from Web to Web3? What was the story behind? What motivated you to switch? Because I remember you was building this many, many Web2 projects, the social network and some some others. And after a while, it was quiet, or maybe at least for me. And after you, bam, and you're a Web3 guy. So how did you switch? What was the story? Yeah, so the story is pretty funny. I actually had never, like, I knew about crypto for years. I had read the Bitcoin white paper, as I feel like everyone at this point kind of has, like, heard about Bitcoin. The thing is, I just have like the outsider view of this whole thing where you just see like coins go up, coins go down. And I, like I said, I really dislike speculation. I don't really like any of that. So for years, I never looked into it. And then I, there was like one specific weekend where everyone in my feed started talking about NFTs. This wasn't like mainstream. It was just like all my friends from Yancy Mafia started, um, talking about NFTs that weekend. And that was also the weekend where the Cabbage group, the Tech Optimist people, uh, actually made a 3D Cabbage and tried to sell it as an NFT. That was like their big uh, moment. It was just like a group of friends that had decided, let's, I think they had met on Clubhouse, but I'm not completely sure about that. They had decided, let's try to build something cool. Let's just like have fun and try to sell a 3D Cabbage. And so that seemed really cool. I. I was in a in a Telegram group chat with some of the people who had started that, and so they invited me to join them as like core team, quote unquote, because there's not really a team; it's just like a group chat of friends. And um, yeah, from that, uh, that group happened to be full of really OG people in crypto. There was Alex Masmerch, uh, which is actually my boss now. He started Showtime, but yeah, in general, there were like a lot of really smart crypto people in there, and so they actually kind of crypto peeled me. I got to see all the awesome things that crypto could be outside of just like coin go up, coin go down. And I started looking into it more. And then after a while, got a job at Showtime. 
and it was maybe like six or eight months ago or something. Yeah, so I joined, like, quote unquote, joined crypto in February. And I joined the uh, Showtime on May. So there were, that was in February. And then I slowly became more and more interested in crypto. For me, it's just like, I have worked on a lot of things in my whole life. And I always try to like work on the thing that excites me the most. And crypto, it's just like full of unexplored problems. Like you can basically walk two steps on any direction or mix two things and you arrive into a territory that has never explored before and you get to like decide what you can build there. I, I felt like, I, I built like a bunch of things that I felt no one had built or at least I didn't see anything, anyone build in Web2 before. Like when I built, I, when I built Blockcast, um, no one was really building this whole um article to audio thing after launching block class like six months after that everyone started doing it i feel like that's like a pretty common thing you you uh, if i'm not uh wrong you made this whole google sheets to website uh tool and then after like a bunch of months everyone was building that so i feel like that's pretty common in like product hunt culture for whatever reason but yeah i feel like i built a bunch of things that were kind of unique but it does feel like it is much harder to come up with like a completely original concept that is also interesting in Web3. Whereas in crypto, for me, like I have literally thousands of ideas and most of those are like things that no one has really thought about before or considered or tried building before. And so that's really, really exciting for me. The idea of like, I get to go in, build things that no one has really thought about before. Like I'm the first one learning about this and I'm the first one exploring this space. And then after that, I can just like go back Tell everyone what I learned. Tell everyone what I know. You can also like become a like. I I feel like people at this point kind of consider me an expert in crypto. At least here I am giving an MAA, and I got here this year. Like it's not that hard to become an expert in crypto because like there's pretty much unlimited things to learn, and no one has time to learn in all of them. So you can just like go deep into some part of crypto, um, summarize that for everyone, and summarize what you learn and share what you learn. And yeah, it's really easy to be an expert. It's really easy to find problems that no one has tried to solve before. And then when or if you solve those, for me, that's really exciting. So that's what I really, really like about crypto. Got it. And the next question also from, from me. Uh, what mistakes do you see newbie Web3 developers keep doing over and over again? Yeah, so mistake number one, as I said before, don't try to learn a bunch of things at the same time. Don't try to start completely from scratch. Go like incremental learning. Go slowly. Start with something that you already know and go from there. Also, don't build on Solana. Like I... I've mentioned like a few things, uh, a few times already that I don't really like Solana. I like the tech is decent. I would say I would also say like writing smart contracts for Solana is way harder, just because Rust is a complicated language, even more than Solidity. Um, but also, um, the culture of Solana is all messed up. Like culture in all these things for me is really important. And even if Ethereum has some of like 
the whole pump and dump um, NFT project. Let's all get rich together. Um, whatever, all the shitcoin stuff. If Ethereum has some of that, Solana, like most of Solana is that in my experience. I have not seen a single um, NFT project on Solana that wasn't either a clone of something or was just like really clearly speculation of like, let's all uh, get together, let's raise the floor, whatever. Like I don't really, it's I guess personal opinion, but I don't really enjoy that culture at all. I don't want a bunch of people just like trying to trick other people into making them richer. I want people who are like passionate about the technology, passionate about innovating, willing to have fun. And I just haven't seen anyone at all on Solana do that. And I, I, I like this is based on intuition mostly. I, there's like a Solana conference this w next week, and I have some friends that are going to go to that what to that one. Uh, mostly just to like actually verify if these assumptions are true, because I'm not the one, only one who thinks that. So they are just like going to go there and see is this true? Are there actually people there excited about the technology that that powers Solana, or is it just like all oh, people trying to get rich or trying to whatever? So I will report back on that, I guess. But in general, I really don't like the culture. It's a little bit more complicated. The only reason why people are using it, I feel like it's because it's really cheap gas. And so, yeah, come build on Polygon instead and join the Ethereum community, which is really welcoming and really cool. And that also answers the next question, I guess. <laughs> yeah, because the, the question was about Solana, but also about other chains, but you mentioned about the Polygon as the the best for you as a like the, the chain that solve similar problems yeah. that Solana have. Got it. Wow, and that also answers the actual next question that I'm I'm gonna roll it with this. Yes. From Mark you mean, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so the next question also from me. What you I have missed, give some typo. So what's your Wait, tips? Actually, the... before that, uh, something I would like to clarify from like Mark's question, which was basically like, would you recommend uh, new makers to Web3 to start off with some of the more mainstream chains as Ethereum, uh, where there's more competition or something more cutting edge, which allows you to read the potential wave, whatever. Um, I would say like uh, write the potential web is not a thing that exists. When building, it is a thing that exists when investing. If you invest early on something, you can probably get richer. But I don't think that there's such a thing for building unless your plan is just to like rebuild things that are already exist on Ethereum uh, on other places, also known as cloning and not a really great thing to do unless you have permission, by the way. Um, I would say like there's no competition on Ethereum for things for new things. Like, as I said before, there are a million ideas to be built in any direction in crypto. Um, it's really, really easy to, came up, to come up with something unique. And even if you are not coming up with something unique, if you are building something that it kind of tries to solve the same problem that another project does, uh, the great thing about Ethereum is everything is composable, everything is open, so, if you actually make a better project, people can literally switch instantly. There's no data locking. There's no vendor locking. Let's say I'm built like Aave is one of the most famous liquidity uh, like lending and borrowing protocols. 
if I make a better protocol for that, um, people will just can just like switch in one transaction. Actually, I could just like even say, oh, if you come in, if you come in um, from Aave, I'm going to incentivize you to come. I'm going to like give you some tokens from my pro protocol or whatever if you come and start using it. So. I, I'm not going to say that competition is not a big problem or not a problem, but I would say that it's much, much easier to compete on Ethereum if you have a, a best a best project. If you're just like trying to build a worse version of what someone has what has already built, probably not going to work that well on Ethereum, but also go build something else. As I said, you can probably find something that excites you that no one has built or that you can build a better version of. Like, I'm actually really confident in you can probably, if you learn a little bit about the technology, come up with some unique idea that maybe some people have thought before, but no one has actually dedicated the time to go out and build that seriously. Kind of, yeah. Like, it's not necessarily a wild west, but I do see it similarly to the, like, the first days of the web where there wasn't that much out there in a way. So you could just like build something like Uber and be the actually the the first person to build Uber. Like no one had tried that before. Yeah, because so, when the, the web started, was many use cases that they tried to put like the most obvious one, like put a newspaper, put them money in the internet, put whatever. Yeah, but, but like other... it took it took a lot longer to for people to say, I think actually people might let strangers into their houses if they pay them enough. So let's build a platform for that. Like that took way more time to first come up with and then convince other people that it was worth it. And I feel like in crypto, even like really small things, like I built this uh, project called uh, onchain.pet, which was kind of like a Tamagotchi built on actual po actually Polygon, which is like an NFT of a pet that you can feed and play with and whatever. And then you have to do that every day or otherwise it dies. And that was something that didn't really, at least in the way that I built it, exist before in any way. And that's obviously not a project. It's more like a game or a side project. But it did allow me to learn a lot about um, all these blockchain, uh, more, more things about blockchain. And no one, like I... People now know me for the project because like no one had built something as simple as as or with a good onboarding before. Like the barrier of quality is not that high if you build something cool. So like if you're just trying to like build something that already exists and are not confident that you can make a better job, maybe try going to a different chain where that doesn't exist yet. I will also encourage people not to do that and try to build something new because again, it is not that hard. Definitely, yeah, I agree with you. Be because um, in the in the in the kind of in the web two way, it looks like the the most problems already done and people just do it over and over again. It's just yet another something, but here is like the the could be like the golden mine of whatever yeah. your craziest idea you have, and much likely that someone already done in the web 2 but much likely if you think about this idea in web 3 and you put it in the web 3 way probably no one would done it because there is just not many people doing web 3 like i don't know one yeah. percent 
from total developers of, of, of all developers or I don't know okay so let's move on we finish with the mark questions and one question from me as well what would be your tips and recommendations to people who want to find the first job in web3 yeah so first recommendation if you are uh, currently a front-end engineer you probably don't need to learn that much to join like, uh, I feel like I actually think that front-end is the easiest way to get into Web3. Just because, as I said before, web developers are used to figuring out new libraries. And ethers.js, which is pretty much all that you need to interact with a, with a blockchain from your JavaScript uh, apps, it's just another library that has an API, has documentation. So you can look at the documentation. You can use that API. And once you know how to use ethers.js, if you understand a little bit about how the blockchain works and how Ethereum works, you you are qualified to apply for like a front-end job in Web3. And, and companies will actually hire you. You don't have to be there for here for like five months before joining. If you're good at front-end, that's most Web3 apps are like most Web3 front-ends are like Maybe 90% Web2, just like making buttons, making a design, making things work together. And then there's like a 10% that is actually, once you click this button, we're going to submit a transaction. But all the rest of it, you're already qualified for. You just have to learn that last 10%. And so that would be my advice for like um, finding your first job. If you are good at front end, try that. If you're good at backend, again, backends in Web3 are mostly reading data from the from the blockchain and storing it in a, in a database in a more organized way you are probably used to doing that for other services like if you're build if you have built apps that interact with uh twitter instagram external apis you have you probably are familiar with just like reading some data from an external source and storing it to the storing it to, on a database uh sure the way that you fetch that data might be a little different or you may have to like receive webhooks for blockchain events or whatever but again it is not that far off for what from what you are used to there's just like a little stuff that you need to learn it's more like learning a new library than it is learning a completely new paradigm you can learn the paradigm eventually but you don't need to get started Finally, smart contracts, that's a little harder, but also there's more demand in the market for smart contract engineers than there has been for anything that I've ever seen. Like we were hiring for smart contract engineers for I think three months and we just finally got one person that was qualified. So it, it's, a, it's a good bet. I would say everyone is looking for a smart, literally all the startups that I know are looking for smart contract engineers, including Showtime. So that's probably a good bet if you want to like just make sure that you got a well-paying job and you don't need it right now. You can also start with front-end and, and then use that to learn more about the space and slowly move into um, smart contracts. But yeah, that would be my advice. Also, uh, Andre runs a site for Web3 Jobs, so maybe check that from time to time. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. But right now, you currently in Showtime, you're working as a backend developer or you, you don't write in smart contracts, right? Uh, so technically, my, my title, I think, is a founding front-end engineer. Um, I 
help with smart contracts. We now have a person to do that full time. I'm like slowly transitioning to do more smart contract work uh, s slowly. But from now, I mostly do front end. Yeah, and we do have someone for to take care of these smart contracts full time. But yeah, I in my in my own projects, I do consider myself full stack or like full stack plus, which is I guess full stack plus smart contracts. Um, so I'm I, I am I have the, I'm definitely just like still obviously learning smart contracts is like a really complex subject, not to get started, but to actually get to like a expert level. It is, I would say, actually pretty easy to get started because the logic is usually pretty simple. It's just like hard to actually get be great at it. But I'm I'm getting there. I hope. Uh, but yeah, I would say start with whatever you're used to. Probably most of your Web two experience translates. Learn the ten percent the same way you are used to learning new libraries or services or APIs or whatever, and then use that as a gateway for learning new stuff. Yeah, because many people probably thought that the, the only way to go to the Web3 as a, as a job is only to become a smart contract developer. But it's crazy hard, I suppose. If you haven't worked, especially as a developer, find a job as a smart contract developer is would be very hard and there is pretty low chance, I suppose. But if you're yeah, developer... I would I will also say, by the way, for anyone non-technical listening to this, there are plenty of job opportunities and actually need in the space for project managers, designers, UX, QA, uh, marketing, community, literally anything. Like this is, uh, like sure, it's Web3, but it is also like a regular startup. We are building websites, we're building mobile apps. We still need all the other roles that exist in other non-Web3 companies. So if you do some of that, like if you do marketing, Probably you need to learn a little bit about how the blockchain works just to like be able to market. But after that, apply to jobs. There's probably some great market. I actually have a friend who does marketing for a crypto startup. And that's a job that exists. There's also project managers. There's QA, QA engineers, I guess. All these other people who also have a role in crypto. It's not just like front-end and back-end developers. There's like 100 categories, I suppose. There's many, yeah. many, many jobs and Solidity Developer probably the, would be the, the hardest one to, to go. But you can slowly move to this like you're doing. You can start with a front end if you're already doing and the job would be probably just slightly different, but not crazy complex different when you need to think about smart contracts and all, all the stuff. But after, because you're already inside the company, you can talk with guys who are doing the smart contract and slowly transit. And because you're already working as a company, for them, will be much more easier to hire you and s switch you to the smart contract because you already like, you know. You yeah, and also companies are interested in training people. Because like if you train someone to be a Solidity engineer, you don't have to find one. And as I said, it's really, really hard to like find Solidity engineers. So the companies are, will be like, if you get a job at a crypto startup as front end or back end or whatever, and you say, hey, I think I'm interested in learning more about this, the company is probably incentivized to like find, re find resources for you to learn or pay you for your time learning that or whatever. Like, there's crazy demand for this, and companies are actually willing to do whatever <laughs> to get them. So if you if you start as front end and you say, hey, I, I think I want to like learn this, they probably can find a way to have you learned that as part of your of your job yeah but by the way what actually the smart contract developer doing because 
in my limited uh, mind, it was the guy who writing the smart contracts that making transaction more like money related uh, transactions, like taking money, storing it, taking some percent calculation and sending somewhere or something like this. But actually, it's much more complex because it depends on the project. The smart contract is, could be not related to the money. It could relate to NFT, like take the NFT from one person and send to another and stuff like this. Isn't it or I'm wrong? Yeah, I mean, a smart contract is basically just like software that runs on a blockchain. So there's this language called Solidity where you write logic on and then you deploy that contract to the chain and then people can execute it using transactions. And so it is pretty similar to like, I don't know, you are a backend engineer, you work with PHP, and so you just write uh, some PHP functions. It's that we'll have whatever business logic. Maybe you work at an agency and one week you are building, um, you're helping build the, the backend of a vintage bank. And then the next week you are building a, an art gallery. It is kind of the same thing. Instead of writing in PHP, you're writing Solidity, and there are obviously different things to you need to like focus your attention on. But the idea is the same thing. You know how to learn writing this language. You are helping write backend code for that language. Got it. Mm, let's move on. It's almost the end. The question finished. The recent question was after discussion started. So the question is from Gpug School. Question. The fear I have is that the error is much more expensive taking into account the gas fees that handle in some environment. How do you handle debugging and errors in production? Or co compared to, to the... Yeah, because when so you deploy all, a smart contract, you kind of change it, right? Yeah. There is a thing called testnet, which are similar to what I mentioned, like Polygon and Optimism and all these chains. And what testnets do is it is basically like a, a chain similar to Ethereum network where you can get Ether for free. So for example, I think like the most popular at testnet is Robsten. You can just like uh, deploy your contract to Robsten instead and you can get like 10 Ether for free. And uh, actually you can get unlimited Ether for free. And so you just use that as a testing ground to just like play with whatever for free, make sure that everything works. And what that, then once you know that it works, you deploy it to either Polygon, if you want users to not pay gas fees, or the Ethereum mainnet or whatever. Um, so yeah, the answer for that is if you are not completely sure if you want to like play with your contract or you are just learning, use a testnet, as I said, completely free. It's just like a test environment is similar to like the test mode in Stripe where you can submit unlimited payments and they will like it it's not real money it's the same thing in testnets ether is not real money so you can just like play with whatever you can also use it if you want to like learn more about ethereum and learn more about all these projects Aave, uh, all these like web3 projects but you don't want to like pay to play with it, them most of those are also have like a testnet uh, deployment. For example, in OpenSea, you can go to testnets.opensea.io to view the NFTs that are deployed on testnets. And so you can just like play with that. And it is kind of like the same system, just like if uh, just that money isn't real there. So you can use that to get a little bit more um, experience and just like play around and exp experiment with the whole Ethereum thing without actually spending any money, which is great.
because it's like the the most uh, common problem what you can think when you started you're thinking about that if you can't deploy only once so you need it's like this rocket science i can only one chance to test it but actually there is many services where you can test yeah it. i mean it is not like that in the sense that you can also deploy another contract and then you use that like sure contracts are immutable but you can just like deploy another one or even there's like some things that you can do to make a contract upgradable in a way but definitely would recommend anyone to just like start with testnet deploy your like i even when i'm sure that the contract is going to do what i want it, it to do what i usually do is i write the contract deploy it on a testnet then build the front end on the testnet, that way I can just like test that all the buttons do whatever I do without any side effects. And then after I, I'm sure that everything is ready, I just switch, uh, deploy the contract to mainnet and then switch the front end to the mainnet, which is usually just like changing a line of code somewhere. And that's it. So yeah. By the way, can you Definitely run recommend uh, it. Can you run the, sorry, can you run the unit test on uh, smart contracts or some sort of this? Yeah, so the way that you test smart contracts is you can do two things. You can, uh, first of all, um, use a testnet. Second, um, some tools like Hardhat, which I mentioned before, which is like kind of like a developer environment for smart contracts, will allow you to like write tests in JavaScript that interact with your contract and those run locally. They just like simulate the blockchain on your computer and run the tests and it takes seconds that's like really the easiest way to test that something actually does what you think then you can also what it's called fork mainnet which is when you kind of like download part of the blockchain to your computer and then simulate it so you run the smart contract as easy as if it would run on the ethereum network but on your computer that does require a bunch of storage because the uh, blockchain is pretty large but it's still maybe if you're building something big like if you're building one of the biggest protocols like Aave, that's recommended for everyone else. Just use unit tests and then deploy to testnet and that should be enough for everyone. Mm -hmm. mm, let's move on. Uh, what about optimistic use? Oh, I think it's reply for some previous uh, conversation. Yeah, as I was saying, uh, one of the great L2s out there is optimism. Um, which basically is an L2 that works pretty much the same to Ethereum. Um, it's just like it's built on top of Ethereum um, and gas fees are cheaper. So yeah, uh, that's a great L2, I would say, one of my favorite. Don't use Solana, use Optimus. Yeah, I mean, if you are thinking about Solana, you probably want to use Polygon, just because like, the gas fees are much much cheaper in optimism um, they are like cheap but they're maybe like 20 dollars still like so it's like cheap compared to ethereum but it's not cheap in general um mm -hmm. polygon is the one which is actually less than a cent for yeah. its transaction so that's like the one that is like affordable for just like testing and playing around and not having to think about gas fees at all mm -hmm. the, the next one from Sagar. I have a basic knowledge of crypto and I have been learning Solidity. How can I join the DAO as a contributor? For example, developer DAO. And what do you think are the benefits of joining DAO? Yeah, so some back, some context on that. DAOs are another one of the great things about crypto. The idea of a DAO is a decentralized organiza autonomous organization, mm -hmm. which is 
basically imagine a company, uh, or maybe it would be easier to imagine an agency where all the decisions aren't taken by like, a, I don't know, a committee or the stakeholders or whatever, but all the users that belong to it. So basically the stakeholders are all, the, all its members and all its users, and then those can democratically vote on what the DAO does and control the treasury and all the things. So it's kind of a, like a protocol for an organization where the users uh, democratically vote on what to do. There are a bunch of really cool DAOs. The one that Sagar um, uh, is mentioning, developer DAO, I'm not super familiar with, but I'm pretty sure it's just like, as I mentioned, the model of like an agency, an open agency form as a DAO. Uh, some that you may have heard with uh, about is friend, the Friends with Benefits community, which is also a DAO. Um, it is a Discord community that requires some token, uh, buying some tokens to enter the community. And it's just like one of the best communities out there. It, I probably would not recommend it to people in this chat just because it's pretty expensive to get in these days. Like the tokens started being like $5, but now I feel like it's quite more than that. It is maybe an investment if you want to do this thing long term and have the funds, but I probably wouldn't recommend it for most of it. But the idea there is like the DAO is the community. And then as a community, they work on creating the community and making it better. There is also, for example, ParityDAO, which is a DAO that formed because we all wanted to make a specific tool. And so we said, instead of like starting a company for this, we are going to make a DAO where we can just like openly uh, crowdfund the project and then hire it. So it's more similar to a startup in a way. Um, so that's what a DAO is. Uh, how can you join a DAO as a contributor? First of all, figure out what DAO you want to join. Um, there are lots, uh, pretty much. I, I, I see new DAOs every week forming for in specific things. So figure out what you want to do, like what DAO you want to help with. And then usually all DAOs have like a process of like, how can I help? For one example is there's this DAO called Scribe DAO, which dedicates itself for like summarizing articles and resources. And the way that you participate is there's a queue, and then you just take an article in the queue, mark it as you are working on this, and then write the summary of that article. And you get like some tokens in exchange or something like that. I'm not exactly familiar with how it works, but most DAOs have like a, a process for like, how can I contribute to this? So you just, you can just follow that. Mm -hmm. I heard a lot about DAO. Uh, it's it's like the, the way before in, in Web2 or in normal world, the, the companies have stakeholders and here you have like the the actual guy guys or, or girls in, in the... Yeah, community. I feel like it's a great model. I, I In my opinion, it's definitely better than the model of company or startup or agency. Incentives are much more aligned. There's like the the, the workers or the users actually get a proportional share of value to the one that they generate, whereas historically it's been like mostly CEO or uh, the stakeholders extract most of the value from the workers, which isn't great. So it is, in my opinion, definitely a better model. It also allows for like more, uh, re more um, flexible work times and structure and all these other cool things that come with like rebuilding, I guess, organization from scratch. But yeah, it's really cool. Cool. 
more questions. Uh, does Polygon have a lot of users? Because new the, the apps usually get early adopters, which already use the underlying blockchain. Yeah, so Polygon has been growing in, in popularity quite a lot recently. I, I am not sure if I have a statistic as to how many um, people have used um, Polygon. I can tell that there are like a million, a, a thousand million transactions uh, around um, 39 transactions per second. It is definitely um, smaller than Ethereum because everything is at this point, but it's starting to grow really big for, uh, I don't think I have like a comparable, oh yeah. So for right now, for comparison, uh, Ethereum is it's running at 16 transactions per second around that. And then uh, Polygon is running at 39 transactions per second. So there are more transactions, but that also means that it's cheaper. So I wouldn't necessarily trust that for like uh, related to users. Ethereum is definitely bigger, but Polygon is slowly growing. And I ca you can probably Google the number of active wallets in Polygon, which is a pretty good measure for how many users use it and find some stats related to that. Cool. Uh, new users, especially newbies, value easy to use. How do you think this will affect the apps that use crypto for payments? Oh, and by the way, before we get into that, someone in the chat dropped a link to some really great statistics on the growth of Matic and it uh, of Polygon, and it seems like there are currently um, two hundred thousand. Uh, wallets with at least one Matic, which is a good, I would say, a good measure for how many users are active. You can also see some graphics for like unique addresses, which at this point is at around um, 250k. So it's it's growing. It's growing exponentially almost in the past few months. I would definitely not have a concern about um a, an application that you build on polygon not having enough users because it's in polygon so yeah uh, moving on um the ease of use is definitely very important and that has been like the main critique that i've seen from for crypto for a while that it is not accessible that it is it's not ux friendly at all and I think we are finally starting to see people who care about that and want to change that. Like the Rainbow Wallet, which is actually one of my favorite crypto projects out there, has one of the best uh, UX for not only any wallet that I've seen, but also like a general, um, any iOS app. It's really, really cool. Um, so I feel like um, for decentralized apps, you you really have to like work on getting on um, building great UX, but I definitely think that it's possible and we're starting to see applications that are actually really usable and use blockchain and even applications that use the blockchain and you probably wouldn't know what looking at it. For example, the uh, again, the Tamagotchi project that I built on the blockchain, um, ha, um, the only indication that that uses blockchain is that you log in with your wallet 
but you can also log in with Twitter if you don't have a wallet and, and, and it creates a wallet for you. So you can just have never heard of blockchain, go in there, log in with Twitter, play with your pet and have nev and never hear about that being a blockchain application. I feel like that's the standard that we need to achieve for this whole thing. Like, because when you're building an app, like when you're using an app, regular users don't need to care about like the backend that Facebook uses. They don't need to know if they use a, a Mongo database or a yes, SQL database or whatever. And that's, I feel, the angle with most blockchain things for you not really having to think about the blockchain at all. And we are starting to see that, but again, it's slowly getting there. Uh, but yeah, I feel like um, this does accept uh, decentralized apps in the sense of they have to really think about it, but it, it, it definitely is possible and we are starting to see people do it. So this is also why we need uh, UX designers and designers in general to join crypto. As I was mentioning before, it is not only for the engineers. Everyone can, I guess, come have fun. So come have fun. Yes. Like you did uh, this uh, Miguel token or something. It was like for fun. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the things that I've made have been mostly just like for fun. I want to, aside from Showtime, which I also have fun on, but I also do because it's my job, any other project that I build, it's for the sole purpose of me learning, experimenting, and having fun. And that's, I guess, yeah, that's what I aim for. And that, that I feel like there should be more people trying to have fun because it's, yes. you can really learn a lot and also have a lot of fun. Yes. Can, can you tell, tell, by the way, a bit more about your Miguel talk and why you decided to do it and what was the idea behind it? Yeah, so again, disclaimer, this is not financial advice at all. I would all honestly recommend the opposite of getting the Miguel token. The Miguel token is not at all an investment in me. It is just uh, an experiment. Um, I wanted to have a token mostly so that I could experiment with it and build infrastructure around it. And the, other way, the only way to build infrastructure around the token for me was to actually have a token. So I needed to have that. Again, not an investment. It does have value. Like I think if you have 10,000 Miguel, that's worth about like 4K right now, but not an investment. Don't, do not invest in me. With that out of the way, because I feel like every time that I talk about this token, I say this is not an investment in me and people still think it is. With that out of the way, as I said, I feel like social tokens are a really interesting topic and, one, and we'll see a lot more social token related stuff soon. I've heard uh, Twitch was looking into it for the subscription. I've heard a lot of big platforms are looking into it. And just in general, it is a great paradigm that not no people are really exploring that uh, in Web2. So I, w I thought, even just like in March, I thought this is something that it will eventually get big and I want to like have play with it a bunch with the, when that happens. So I decided I will make my own token. And the Miguel token is basically kind of like a cryptocurrency that lives inside of Ethereum that uh, has my name and and that's pretty much it. Like it is a token, anyone can integrate it with everything. You can use it right now mostly to just like vote on things. There is, um, you can go to vote.miguelpf.me for a, a place where people can create proposals and then people who have Miguel tokens can vote on those. And yeah, the idea was to have people decide uh, what projects I work on next or what do I dedicate my time next. And in general, the the hypothesis behind social tokens is that if you give a token value outside of the chain, 
the market will reflect that value. That's kind of like the hypothesis. And so, yeah, my test was like, is it a good value of people being able to like vote what I dedicate my time on? Is that valuable enough so that people can, why, that the value of this token will go up? And again, I would not, I feel like I'm, I have to really stress this because otherwise people will get the wrong idea. I would not recommend anyone spending real money to get imaginary dollars from a random teenager in the internet. That is not a good financial decision in any light, but it, it is an experiment that I, I'm still really excited about, just like slowly building infrastructure around that or integrating it in things that I build. So yeah, that's that's what that is. Because some companies, they have like the entire DAOs dedicated to make some sort of combination of Patreon and some sort of equity. And they don't really tell that you will get the equity, but you need to invest in the person somehow. Do you, Have you heard about this? I mean, most DAOs actually have a token. That's how they work. Party DAO, Friends with Benefits, Developer DAO, they all have tokens. Uh, same for like ENS and all the projects that I talked later. Uniswap, all these projects have tokens and they use those tokens mostly for governance. Uh, some for other things as well, but mostly governance it is. And it is definitely like how things are done in Web3, I guess. If you have a big project and you want to decentralize it, you uh, gift your existing users some tokens for your thing and then those tokens are used to vote on what the project will do next that's like a pretty common thing for pro uh, for both projects and DAOs and yeah my thing is kind of like a different thing it is a social token it is not tied to a project or an organization but to a person actually one of the first people to do this was Alex the founder of Showtime and my friend and he used his Alex token to fund himself going to SF and starting a startup, he was his friend. So he basically raised money with his Alex token to go travel to San Francisco and fund a startup there, which is Showtime. So they are definitely way unexplored and people have, and yeah, I feel like there's so much to, that's something that is probably really interesting and we'll see much more projects uh, regarding social tokens in the future. And yeah, I wanted to be prepared from what that happens and have play with it myself. So that's what the Miguel token is for. Yes. Do you, do you think it's even realistically, if you put the social tokens that you invest in some raising talents, but you, uh, when you invest, this person commits that give 10% of, I don't know, 10 of all money that he will make in the future, like kind of like startup investment in, uh, person in the, in the person yeah i mean that's what alex did alex basically said um i am raising 20k to go to sf and start this startup and the way that i'm going to raise it is i'm going to sell this alex token and the people who buy this alex token will get i think it is like 10 percent of my income for the next year also other artists like uh, a really known artist rack what he does is he has this personal token and i think Part of the royalties for his songs, like the streams on Spotify and courses and stuff, go to the holders of the token. So it is one of the things that all these social tokens are being used for. Because it's a little bit hard for for, for legally to, to to kind of commit all these documents, but I think it's if it works and like for trust, it kind of makes sense because people 
just trust Yeah, I mean, I feel like part of the point of a social token is that it's not necessarily backed by money, but it's backed by trust and by reputation. Like, I don't know, if whatever creator makes a token right now and then with his name and then they... Um, what they call the ragged, where they basically just like remove all the liquidity and run away with all the money, that would hurt their reputation. I would feel like, especially if their fans invested in it. So I feel like that's kind of like the idea for smart tokens. They are backed by reputation and they are backed by their identity. It's kind of like the, a similar thing to what uh, BitCloud is trying to do, just um, in an open way. This is not like locked to BitCloud, this is an open standard that any project in Ethereum or outside of Ethereum can integrate in. It's more of like an open protocol thing. But it's a pretty good analogy, I would say, to how uh, BitCloud works. Yep. Uh, so there is last two questions. First, you already partially answer. What kinds of applications around social tokens do you anticipate? We will see in the next year. Yeah, I feel like we, I've talked about about, about this, uh, a bit about this. I feel like we'll see more creators actually um, in a race. Like we've seen a bunch of DAOs where they say like, oh, we want to build this thing. And then people will um, create, they, they will create a token. They will uh, use it to crowdfund funds for the project. And then the users will get tokens in exchange for the crowdfund and use it to vote in the direction of the project. That's something that is actually pretty common on Ethereum already. People actually use Mirror for this. Mirror has, a, as I mentioned at the start, a crowdfund block that will do just this, will allow you to raise funds and give a token in exchange so that uh, you can get uh, a DAO or a project started. I feel like we'll see more creators do this where uh, like Alex did kind of, they say, oh, I'm going to be a indie maker. I am going to need some funds for that. So you can invest on this and I will give you a percentage of my MR MRR or, and I will also allow you to vote on what I build, on what I do, on what directions I take. I feel like no one in the indie maker space has really explored this idea of I'm going public as a creator and I'm going to build whatever you guys tell me to do. And I like... It doesn't need to be successful because my expenses are paid with you guys' money, but if it is, you will get a percentage who you are incentivized to help me build this. Web3 projects work that way. No one in Web2 has tried that before. I feel like someone probably from the web.chat community or all that kind of like the IndieMaker Twitter will do that in the next few months because uh, it is like a really interesting experiment that I would probably have done if I didn't have a job right now. Uh, but yeah. yeah. I feel like the, that's the, probably, that's a given. That's something that someone someone will do. Pro, probably someone in this chat is, is taking notes. But yeah. And then other than that, just like more development and more tools around all of this. Yeah. Uh, the closest what I can think is Kickstarter campaign kind of was closest, but more in the product. I mean, not in definitely, the I would say Kickstarter. This implementation makes it easier for people to actually vote and have direct financial interest. Because you, if, if, if it is a Web3 project, it's really easy. You can just say, I am going to code in the source of this product of this Web3 project that I'm building that 10% of all the income will go to a treasury that is controlled by the token. You can do that. Like That's literally code that you can write. Uh, if, if Even if it's a Web2 project, you can commit with reputation and then you can have 
uh, decentralized voting for things and it will like Kickstarter for example does not include voting I guess they have some kind of like poll system but it, it is really interesting and you also create like a market around your token so even people like if I didn't get to invest but I see um, oh this is a project that I actually think will be really cool I can say, oh, I'm going to like buy this token, and it, maybe I get it for like more than I what I, what I, other people originally paid. But it enables like a market for people supporting you, and people are really aligned with you, um, winning all those things. Like I feel like it's a really really interesting thing that it's similar, I guess, in a way to just like doing a Kickstarter for I'm going to build whatever, give me money, but it allows you to do it in a more in a way where incentives are more aligned and where there's more tooling around all of this. Yep. The, the second question from the same guy, would love to learn about the long-term vision for Showtime and social protocols you're all building. How does it compare to the so? Yeah, so first of all, I have no idea what DESO is, so unless you drop a link by the time that I'm finished with this question, I will probably not be able to answer that part. But for Showtime, Showtime started being the Instagram of NFTs. That was like the original vision, kind of, we are a social platform for NFTs. Um, after that, we built this whole completely gasless marketplace, with meaning that you can create an account on Showtime without even having a wallet. You can create an account with your email. Then you can click a create button that we have, and create an NFT in a, in a similar way to how you would upload a picture to Instagram or post a tweet, really, really user-friendly, without having to like pay for gas or even, like again, have a wallet. You can create this NFT that you can then list for sale on Showtime and sell it and make money in NFTs without having to understand anything that I would just spend the past uh, two hours talking about. So that's what we are kind of uh, moving towards now. Um, kind of like um way to onboard all these new users that are going to be coming into NFTs into NFTs before they have to like learn anything like the most accessible way to learn and and start doing NFTs and investing into NFTs uh we are probably going to launch a marketplace uh next week so probably maybe don't tweet about that yet waiting next week but that's like the vision right now and then long term we want to both um work on new ways to like align the incentives between uh, artists, collectors, and supporters of artists. And I can, unfortunately, cannot be more specific than that because that's something that we are actually rebuilding and we're going to be the first who work on something like that. So I cannot spoil a thing. But, um, but yeah, and we are also, we also want to at some point kind of decentralize the. Um, the whole social protocol so that it is not like um, uh, specific to Showtime, but anyone can build their own client and the data is on the blockchain open for everyone. So like I mentioned, uh, sure, NFTs are insane, but on... But all the comments, likes, um, your avatars are mostly on still on a database and so long term we want to decentralize that into an actual thing that is fully on chain and decentralized and anyone can participate and stuff but yeah that's long term got it 
And the and last question. Related to the the Deso part, which they oh. just sent a link to. Apparently oh yes, he, he just sent yes. the the blockchain that um, BitCloud is based on. So I actually had no idea that they had opened up the blockchain that they created for everything. I would say the thing that I don't like about this, so and I or I originally didn't like about uh, BitCloud, is that instead of relying on open protocols and open networks like Ethereum, they decided to make their own, which I don't know. It's kind of like just like starting from scratch when there's this whole ecosystem of uh, compatible projects that you could benefit that could benefit from your thing and you could benefit from. So it's a little bit like I don't know. I don't really like it personally. You, I don't know. It's kind of like um, Spotify now adding podcasts, but instead of using RSS, which they also support, but they also have their like their own system for podcasts that doesn't include RSS at all, and you have to use Spotify to use, or otherwise the podcast will not be available. It feels kind of like the same way, and that really goes against the whole blockchain values, I feel like, of open openness and stuff. And sure, you can kind of build on top of this blockchain, I would imagine, but it's still not great. So I don't really like this So on BitCloud for those reasons. Uh, how, as of how it compares with uh, Showtime, they are completely different things, I would say. Showtime is an, an app and a protocol eventually. This is a blockchain. There are different things. Got it. The last, the last question. Creators going public and tokenize themselves through social tokens is similar to human IPO. Do you know what is human IPO? Because I don't. Yeah, so human IPO is a um, website where you can actually... I think they use Ethereum. I'm not exactly sure that they use Ethereum. But what it allows you to do is to... Okay, I'm looking at the uh, website page. They, I'm pretty sure that they do use Ethereum, basically because they are talking about NFTs and unless they have built their own thing. Maybe they don't. Basically, Human APO is kind of like the Web2 version of this whole thing where you issue shares of yourself and then I guess people can vote or get some uh, percentage of your... Yeah, I'm honestly not sure. Maybe it's just like a speculation, but it's basically the human APO is the version of that that works with um, non like the non-decentralized uh, Web2, no crypto at all version of that, I guess. So I guess it is similar. It's just like social tokens are, since they are extendable and intercompatible and all these things, they have much more potential in the sense that anyone can build any application for any social token and then you would be able to use it for any other social token. Like anything I build for the Mikal token, you can just use for your own thing. Whereas this human APO, I assume they will have an API or whatever, but you have to build things for these things specifically. Uh, question to the moderator. Miss the answer to the earlier questions. Will the answers be achieved? somewhere a podcast or blog post yeah we're supposed to make it uh translated to to text i don't know how to do it but probably it's possible and i we try to record it so if the recording would be fine we're still recording we yeah i mean I'm, I'm recording so 
we should have at, at least my audio. I'm seeing like the the audio feedback bar move up and down. So I am assuming that will work. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, at the worst case, we have my audio and you can just like voice over your stuff. Best case, we have yeah. the whole thing and we can just like make it into a podcast and transcribe it or whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's basically it. Um, anything you want to share in the end as a voice yeah, for I people who Web3 people? First of all, thank you all for staying here and listening to me talk about crypto for two hours and 30 minutes. <laughs> I feel like most people will would probably get bored of me talking about technology to them for any amount of time at all. So that's really helpful. I really, really love to like talk about crypto. So yeah, thank you all for listening. I hope you learned something. I hope this was useful. Um, just uh, in general, um, like someone, I think that someone dropped the link to the Cabbage Patch Telegram group uh, up there. Definitely join that. I would recommend everyone joining that. It's a great place to share what you're building, ask questions, all these things. Like I said, the community are really, really welcome. They helped me uh, get started with all this crypto stuff, and I'm sure they will be lovely to all of you as well. Or than that, you can follow me on Twitter. It is the same username as I have in Discord, and it's also link from, from my profile to keep up with all this stuff that I'm talking about and I'm working on. I have a bunch of threads in the last, if you scroll a, a bit for the past few days about all these, the future of NFTs and why crypto is not only about money, things that you may find interesting. Um, what else? Oh, also, if you have like a cool idea for a crypto project and you would like some help, I have to, I do have to like be mindful of my time because I already mentioned I'm working on way too many projects, but I've been trying this thing where I just like join some people as just as an advisor because I do feel like I have um, more experience and connections in the space that most people that might be getting started. Uh, it is not like a real advisor job. I just like tweeted, I mentioned it at the start, it was kind of like a job with the vibes intern thing where I just like join as a vibes intern which is a position with no salary and no um responsibilities at all and then maybe i just like drop by when you're doing uh brainstorming and help out with that and stuff so if you are building something cool you are open to the me. and again i reserve the right to react that basically because i am uh i already have too many things going on but if it's something cool like if you're nerd sniping or, or something i would probably uh help so yeah my dms are open for everyone in here uh feel free to drop by and let me know whatever if you have an idea if you have a thing that you would like to build if you are doing the human apo whatever thing but in crypto with like social tokens um let me know as well i'll i'll definitely love to help with that either set that up or just in general invest in that probably if you're cool and yeah um Go check uh, and Andre's job board, I guess. Yeah, thank you. Uh, can, can you spell your Twitter once again to make sure people find you? M1? Yeah, and... so it's M1GUELPF. Yes. You can also go to miguelpiedrafita.com to sh sh uh, read some, like, see a list of my projects and stuff. I do have a crypto-only blog, which you can access at m1gelpf.blog. 
that is actually powered by Mirror. So if you've been wondering what is this whole thing, Mirror, Mirror think about how does a decentralized blog uh, look like, you can go in there and read a bunch of uh, crypto-related articles. And yeah, that, I feel like that's all for my part. Cool. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, it was very interesting to talk to you. It was our first Emma. It was pretty randomly. People, I asked people who you want to see on Emma session and people mentioned you. So yeah, uh, you're doing a really good job with uh, like maybe debunking the myth of all this crypto hype stuff. And you like evangelist of Web3. So really appreciate that you took time and participate in this MAA session. Yeah, definitely. I, I I am doing my best to like crypto peel as many people as possible. And yeah, just like whack me, I guess we are all going to make it. That's like one of the main memes on crypto. Like yes. the, the two biggest memes on on crypto Twitter are GM, good morning every morning. People do tweet that every morning. And then whack me, which stands for we are going to make it. Like we are all going to make it. So yes. yeah, whack me everyone. Hope you learned something. Yeah, and I wish you GN good night because it's kind of late, I suppose. Soon, yeah, thank so. you. <laughs> yeah, GN. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, goodbye, and let's please send me the recording. Yeah, will do. See you around. See, see yeah. you all in the metaverse, I guess. Yeah. yeah, see you guys. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Please let me know who you would like to see as the next guest for Web3 podcast. And make sure to check it out, web3.career. It's a website where you can find a job in Web3.